welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of personal and professional growth. This week, I'm joined by Managing Director at Gab Apps, Chris Polk. Um, Chris, I guess your background is, is slightly different. I guess you're a provider to many healthcare uh, companies. So um, I believe that you and Adam are fairly well acquainted outside of this podcast, um, but I'll give you a quick introduction to him anyway. Welcome, welcome, Adam. How are you doing? Thanks. Thanks for having me again, James. Yes, it's true to say Chris and I, we, we know each other fairly well and... Um, uh, as I said, as I said just before we went on air, he's one of the hardest people, hardest working people that I know outside of us two, probably. <laughs> well, there, there you go. That's that's a credit. So um, I know that I put in a lot of hours. Adam puts in a lot of hours. Um, but look, Chris, welcome to the show. Um, I guess you. in your kind of own words, give us a quick overview of yeah who you are and what DabApps uh, is as a business. Okay, so I'll start with DabApps. Um, we're really a, a bespoke software developer. Mm. Um, people come to us and they have ideas for, for apps. Um, and it could be mobile applications or web applications across a kind of very wide variety of, of industries and, and uses. Mm. And sometimes there's people that, that are startups, somebody's just got a crazy idea at home and they're like, wouldn't it be great if we had an app to do that? And they will contact us and say, like, got this great idea how much will it cost to build and we work with them and try and figure it out and if if it makes sense financially and the idea is right and we like the idea then we can work with them to build it and go for the whole startup journey which is great fun um or sometimes it's bigger bigger customers who have got a need for something a little bit different that their internal it teams can't do so then that might be a mobile app where they've got developers internally, but they can't do mobile applications. So they'll, they'll reach out to us. And that tends to be projects that we work on for a long time with, with a variety of different, different clients. I was going to say, there must be quite a varying range of customers for yourself, because I don't know a single person out there that hasn't at one point said, oh my God, I could create an app on that, or there should be <laughs> an app on that. And I'm sure it's a conversation um, that you have um, kind of, of daily um but look, i guess the, the focus um of yeah the, that we talk, typically talk about is life sciences healthcare pharma biotech etc i know firsthand just from my conversations with you off air that you have um assisted some of our former guests on the show with apps etc uh, but before we get into that i guess how did you first even get into this realm because um as I say, it's it's when when Adam introduced us, I was like, okay, look, sounds interesting. It's linked with what we do, and there's a lot of apps out there for patient engagement, patient enrollment, all sorts of apps. But how did you get into this game to start with? Because it's um yeah, not one that many people that I know of anyway, um, certainly come out of school and target. Um so some of it was kind of accidental. I was always into IT and programming and development through even when I was kind of 13, 14, I was trying to write games on a BBC computer, trying to like get games published, that, that kind of thing. And that was before there was no internet. So everything it was all kind of magazines and published and sold in WH Smiths and things. Mm. So I always wanted to program from that really early age. Um, 
that kind of led to going to uni, doing a computer science degree, and while I moved from Wales down to down to Brighton back yeah. in a long time ago. Um, and then from there, I just kind of graduated, moving into jobs, and ended up in the city, um, working at kind of big financial companies for like 10, 15 years, which was great fun, mm. learning lots about finance and about systems in, in general as well, trying to keep things, yeah. keep very big, big systems working. Um, but by that time, I had a young family. I was working in London and working 16 hours a day, and it just wasn't much fun. Mm. Um, so I kind of kind of made a decision, and it's it kind of a tough one. I almost got another job in London, and I thought, no, I don't really want to do this. Um, and ended up in a little little company in Brighton, taking a big pay, big pay cut, but just learning about applications and web applications and how they work and how they get put together. Um, did that for a little while. And a few of us used to sit around the little pub after work and say, yeah, we could do this better. Couldn't we just kind of do this ourselves? Mm. Um, and after a while, that company kind of ceased existing. We did different things. And we'd still go to the pub, um, which is probably a recurring theme. Um, but <laughs> some of that was talking about a product. We think, right, we're going to come up with our own product. We're going to do Facebook for dogs. It's going to be the best version of Facebook for dogs ever. Mm. Um, but we never came up with quite the right idea, the thing, because the, the people I was working with were all quite technical. We all kind of saw the technical thing and also saw the negative as well. So every time somebody came up with a product idea, we were like, oh, no, that's been done before or dogs don't use the internet or whatever reasons it was that we decided <laughs> not to do it. Mm. Um, so eventually there's a random conversation where Caroline, who's one of the founders, met somebody in a toilet and started talking about a development and um, they, they had a kind of a smallish startup. And eventually that turned into our first project um over like a few months and we worked on it evenings and weekends mm. um got it launched we all had different jobs and we we're all just kind of fitting it in and then when it launched the site did pretty well it got bought by tesco's um right, yeah he were at the time were just expanding into like six thousand different markets and trying to do everything mm. um they rebranded the site launched it and it hit like the front page of quite a few newspapers it's on the wow. news bbc website and it's a big thing and we we're all like we can't really tell people about this because we all had other jobs and we were kind of doing it slightly secretly mm. um, <laughs> but that it kind of gave us enough impetus to get going um we said one of one of the founders quit their jobs then the next one then i quit a little bit later mm. um and that allowed us to build our own website and do our own marketing and then start getting more clients. Mm. Um, and was this under the name of Dab Apps at that time or was yes. it another business? Or? No, it's all, all Dab Apps. Um, I wasn't officially a director. My wife was the director because it was just the easiest way to, uh, to do that at the time. Mm. Um, but then we just, um, when I joined full time, um, it, it just felt like a really good opportunity. I think we, we proved that we were, were earning a little bit of money. We we're doing a few few client projects. Um, and we just grew from the three of us kind of learning yeah. as we were doing it into a into a bigger place. 
Interesting. Well, look, I, I guess the Tesco story is one in itself. But I guess what I was interested in when I first met you was that decision point to go from city employee, uh, as I was back in, in the day now, to kind of coming away from the city, working locally because it suited home life. Now, I know that you shared with me kind of that was a bit of a conundrum for you at the time. Um, and you had a very unique way of deciding which way you were going to go. If you can, if you can recall sharing yeah. that with me, that would be useful to kind of give some insight to the type of guy that you are, but also then what, you know, kind of how your decision-making process went with that one. Because I think that was, I was interested about that. Um, and I think there's loads of people out there that might be doing the same. And it's probably a, a way that might work for them as well. So it was, it was a kind of weird time. I just left Lehman Brothers, who just collapsed. Mm. And I was like, like, I was away. I was living in London four days a week and my family were living in, in Brighton. So I was kind of commuting over the weekends. Um, and I was enjoying being in London, but it was lots of hours, lots of, lots of work, lots of pressure. Mm. Um, so I started looking for jobs. And I thought, right, I'll try and look in Brighton for jobs that are local and I'll keep looking in London. Um, and I ended up getting two jobs on the same day. One was being in, in London for quite a big, big merchant bank doing similar stuff to what I was doing. And I knew I'd have to be at work at 6.30 in the morning. I wouldn't finish till 10 at night. It was a really mm. long job. And the other job was a smaller consultancy in Brighton. I didn't have, didn't really know much of what I was doing. But yeah. it meant I'd be home every day. So I kind of thought, hey, do I make this, this decision? Because I was really, you kind of weighing up work-life balance against um, money and salary yeah. and all of that kind of thing. So I, kind of, I, I literally got a dice and I said, right, one, two, three, it will be the job in London. Four, five, six, it will be the, the job in Brighton. So I <laughs> sat there, rolled the dice, and I came up with two, which was London. Yeah. And I looked at it, and the second I looked at it, I said, I need to do two out of three. And as soon as I realised I need to do the two out of three, I knew what the decision was. So I, I think didn't that's the that. thing, isn't it? And like sometimes you almost have to go through that process. The quicker you either get a result, get a failure, get a success, whatever it is, it's kind of you know in yourself what you should be doing and clearly doing that process uh, I, when you first told me that, I thought, bloody hell, that's pretty ballsy to just roll the dice <laughs> and go with it. And then you told me, actually, that that just helped with your decision-making process and yeah. moved it along. Um, and I guess, yeah, if you hadn't followed your gut on that, you you know, we perhaps wouldn't be speaking today. So Yeah, I, I could definitely admit you feeling sad when it came up with a two. And I was like, I felt sad just for a second. And I was like, that's mm. why I've made the wrong thing. I've got to choose the right job. And it, yeah, it was definitely the right thing to do long term so Adam, did, interesting. Did, did, did you know chris back at this time yeah. were you privy to the um i wasn't days, i wasn't to, privy to the, to the days dice. down the pub for the for the brainstorming sessions or <laughs> i wasn't privy to the dice throwing but i do recall and i do remember you know a long time ago our kids are of a similar age and mm. and i remember the commute that chris was doing this incredible commute to canary wharf and staying up there three or four nights a week and having done that myself in various different countries, I know how brutal that can be. It, you know, it, it really does put an enormous strain on you. But also I remember on occasions, 
eating dinner at your house, Chris, when you were checking your emails at like half 11 at night. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was Before constant, you... honestly. Yeah, it, it, was, just... it was literally always on, wasn't it? It was like you were on call the whole time and you were kind of holding, holding every, all the tech together as far as I could see. Well, was... Whilst you were eating your dinner, you were checking your emails. And this was maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Must have been. We, had, we just had like such a big... Uh, big systems that we support and so they're used globally and if something goes wrong this issues in whatever country it's in and I was looking after the support so we had a support team in India and we had users in different countries so it's yeah 24 by 24 by 6 I guess always something going on and it was definitely brutal I mean and and from from the from my perspective I could I I can see by taking taking ownership of the situation and becoming your own boss and building your own team, how much happier you are, and I know how much time you spend with <laughs> your wife and kids now in comparison to how it was before. So you know, I yeah, it really was totally a transformative different. decision. But I still work. I normally get into the office at eight till half eight, and I'm normally here till six ish. And I check my emails a little bit in the in the evening, but I rarely work in the evening really work with the idea if I need to if there's a proposal that needs to go out or something I will but I just seem to be much better at fitting the day into the nine or ten hours of the working day instead of just being pulled in so many different directions so yeah I think it is just a case that sometimes yeah. you have to do what's, what's right for you and, and the family I can't like looking back, I mean, I was in the city for, for years and I would, you know, go for a few beers after work and like, I would never have seen my son. Uh, whereas nowadays, I just can't imagine doing the kind of hours I did in the city and, you know, not coming home and, and then just doing it over and over. Um, that just, just doesn't even make sense to me anymore. It's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah. It's no. priorities, isn't it? It's just priorities. And, and the other thing that obviously you... You also managed to fit in. Is an awful lot of walking, Chris. So I, I think one thing that I've done in the last few years, especially through since COVID and stuff, is just thinking. I need a bit of thinking time, and for me, walking is gives me that thinking. I walk to work, and it's probably three miles, I guess. Then I walk home, it's another three miles. I tend to go for a walk at lunchtime, and try and do something at the weekend. And it is just my bit of thinking time. Um, and sometimes I play loud music. Sometimes I just think about problems at work or stuff I'm doing at home. Mm. And it's just nice to get that time. Yeah, you're not stuck on a train or anything. You're just out and about. And, 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 and dare I say, you, you have this thing in common, the two of you. Can you guess what it is, James? What do you have in common, you and Chris? I've given you a clue. I, well, I also do a lot of walking, talking. That's where me and Lucy do our business meetings in the morning, walking Axel to and from nursery. <laughs> yeah. So wouldn't you believe Chris doesn't drive either? Does the two not? of you have this in uh, yeah, common. Don't drive. For me, I I've never necessarily wanted to, never been interested in it. I've never really been interested in, in cars. Like it's just something that again, just yeah, I've never been pulled towards it. And I like being active um and yeah. just getting around by myself. And I do so much walking. Um I mean, Chris, I mean, that's why when you told me, I was like, how many steps a day are you doing out of interest? <laughs> um, and you was like kind of 15 plus thousand. And I know that when Lucy and I started the business, we strategically said we are going to go for a, a walk every morning, five o'clock, 
um, and it was we'll do our daily 10,000 steps and that would take us an hour and a half of walking yeah. so when you said that you're doing 10,000 or 15,000 plus I was like right okay you must be doing at least an hour and a half probably two hours plus maybe even a bit more of walking a day but it gives you that headspace to, to think to plan to it's yeah there's so much you can actually multitask when walking um, it's unbelievable and I yeah. hate multitasking in any other field by the way <laughs> but walking and doing something is, is perfect but look, talk us through some of the healthcare related apps the patient engagement apps um, that you have produced I mean how how long do they take to say design and build versus you know some of the the, the gimmicky apps that are out there um, yeah. what's the difference um and I guess what's the process I guess for when say I don't know a CRO or a healthcare company approaches you and says Chris we're looking to do this talk us through that kind of that roadmap that you would talk them through because again as I say, lots of people have ideas for apps or want a company app, but may not know where to start. And it's kind of like, how do you get them started when they might not, might not quite know what's possible, etc.? It's interesting. Working with a big pharma company, they will have a huge amount of kind of compliance and legal steps you've got to really comply with. And they will audit you to make sure that you do. So... Luckily, when we first started working with, with pharma companies, we knew a lot of that because we'd done the research, we'd worked with finance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, pharma takes it to a slightly different level um, and you, we will get hundreds of detailed questions about the way that we've done things. And luckily, we build, because we build things to really good standards and good engineering best practices, most of the time, we, without us having to do any work, we're compliant. Um, it just because really all they're asking for is that are you are you doing the really good sensible things there's certain pieces that are slightly more than that with the family that you need to really understand and make sure that you, you comply with mm. and because we've done that with big companies so and if another big farmer talks to us I'm confident that we can do the same thing then if it's somebody who, who works in farming who's got a, or works in medical and has got an idea then we'd say to them, right, okay, yes, we can build your idea, but these are the things you need to really think about for legal and compliance and regulations. And we can offer that advice back then. And I think that that really helps. And it does it does make a difference because it makes it more complicated to do and it costs more, but at least we know up front instead of you build something and then it's, oh my God, the database isn't compliant and you've got to start again we've kind of we built that in from a really really early stage and that really helps sounds as though that, that takes it back to when you started the business and you almost put in place those core procedures those pillars of the business and kind of where you wanted to, to go by having strong processes from the outset and then being able to build on that to now be able to i guess yes yeah, speak from experience and guide and handhold even big pharma companies through the process of, yeah, this is what needs to be done and this is how we're going to do it and this is where it's going to be compliant, et cetera, et cetera. Um, For full disclosure, you know, I have worked with Chris's team and they are tremendously creative and he's probably doing himself a disservice, if I'm honest, because actually every one of the people that I've ever come into contact with under DABAT 
shops are experts in their field, whether they're creative directors, design specialists, coders, they all just are experts in their field. And I think mm. that's fair to say, Chris, you surround yourself with some excellent people and you know your stuff and you, you know, you, you do what it says in the tin. Not only do you develop apps, but actually I think you turn an idea into something of reality. And I dare I say, it, I've seen that as well. And, and it's quite something to behold, particularly in around, you know, my, my specialism, which is of course, you know, clinical data and collecting patient information, healthcare professional, Mm. Um, interactions with patients and and I think it's it's that pivoting outside of you know some of the earlier work that you were doing Chris that I think I've seen far more and more of over the years that we've known each other as friends and I never anticipated actually that we would get to have the opportunity to work together or continue to talk about that outside of you know uh, our, our social circle but but actually, you know, that's been my experience of it, James, to be honest. You talked about walking and how much you, you walk. You've talked about um, spending time with family. Um, I guess over the past couple of years, things have, yeah, all of our lives have been changed in some way, shape or form. What would you say have um, perhaps been the biggest challenges that you have faced as an individual and as a kind of managing director for the business over the past 18 months, two years, whether it was the furlough, whether it's not being able to get out. What's, yeah, and, and how have you dealt with it? And what's it taught you about yourself, really? Um, I think the hardest, the hardest work thing is keeping the culture of the company together because mm. we've always been quite a close company. People get on well and work together well, um, go to the pub after work. It's just been like quite a close culture and people know each other quite well. Mm. And going from that to being at home, all of the time has been difficult. Um, we did quite a lot in the beginning with like Zoom quizzes and Zoom parties and things, but that works to some extent, but it's really hard to do all of the time. And you might have some people talking and not very many people talking. Mm. Um, so we still do those, but we've kind of kind of made them a bit lesser. It's, it's, it's not the same as kind of a get together not. at the pub, whether you're drinking or not. That social aspect of getting the team together <laughs> yeah. is kind of I feel irreplaceable, and that's why we do team day days out as well and things like that. Because yeah, I mean Zoom is is fantastic. Um, however, yeah, as you say, the participation levels are just not the same as as an in person event uh, for that sort of thing. I don't think. No, there's not. There's tools you can use instead of Zoom where you can kind of really break off into little parties. So you could be like talking 10 of you together and then two people do a little breakout and talk and then come back. Mm. So there's definitely tools you can use, but they're all a little bit clunky and it's just not the same as, as real life. Um, you need to get an app for it, Chris. You need to get an app for it. <laughs> yeah, I think there come would on, be a way of out. doing it. <laughs> Maybe in that years to come, when the whole kind of metaverse thing kicks off, oh, people dear, will become yeah. better at it. But I think we're not quite there yet. It doesn't quite work. <laughs> so we've got an office in Brighton and an office in Cardiff. The office in Brighton is open. Nobody has to come in. But today there was like seven people in, which has been quite nice. We've kind of just played a bit of music and worked. And it's been, like we've tried to make the office a nice place to be so people want to come in nice. when they can as long as it's not freezing cold because we've got the windows open but mm. it's just yeah trying to get it, trying so to get would, it, it would it be fair to say then as much as you 
wanted to get away from the world of spending all your time at the office in the city, actually you've gone not quite full circle, but you realise that actually you do really like that interaction with the team in an office environment. Yeah. I almost all the way, apart from when the times when we weren't allowed to kind of physically come into the office, I've been coming in two or three times a week into the office and working at home two or three times. Mm. And that really works for me. I mean, you kind of get the best of both worlds. I can be at home working on a Wednesday and do all the washing and do all the kind of domestic stuff and still get the work done. I love it. Yes, that's (laughs) right. Um, but then I like coming in as well. So I think for me, the split of hybrid being at home some of the time, being in the office some of the time, I think that's going to stay for a very long time mm. for, for most people. You're, Chris, the other, the other thing that you haven't mentioned, of course, is the reason you need to, to be there to do the washing is because your wife is out vaccinating, right? Yes. So she's done yeah. thousands and thousands of vaccines <laughs> in the last two years. And, and you're holding the fort at home as well as literally holding the foot in, in dab apps. Uh, she'll probably kill me if I said I did all the washing. For that. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what I hear, Chris, speaking to Adam, if she can do the washing like she's doing vaccinations, you should have no need to even do any washing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't need to work really. Should I just watch TV all day? It'll be, uh, yeah, I guess, look, share with the audience just how many vaccinations she has jabbed out in the last couple of years? I think it's about 5,000 and, and most of them have been at home so people that can make it into vaccination centres so it's been a, yeah an awful lot of different people and different vaccinations. Over the, we, we need to, we need to give a shout out to Helen and Helen and all, all her colleagues don't we? We really do because honestly she, as I've said to you James you know Chris and I spend quite a bit of time together and mm. honestly the efforts that Helen and her colleagues have done I mean they're the reason why we're able to do the things that we are these days Uh, you Mm. know we all we're all very grateful for for the efforts of of our NHS healthcare workers and uh, you know we like I said the world would be a very different place without without people like Helen that's for sure so this is a shout out to Helen by the way because I'm sure she'll be watching this at some point (laughs) all I can say is yeah fair play Helen because that is an (laughs) massive amount of jabs to, to get out there and yeah he tells some incredible stories as i said i'm i'm going to be getting the calculator out after after air uh after we've been on air <laughs> just to work out how many of that is a day like, i just can't yeah you know, i just still can't believe that that it's that many it's just a ridiculous amount um so yeah fair play to to your wife um keeping us all in good health um yeah, but look, i guess that moving forward grace look Dab apps clearly, I guess the business is going well. You've got two offices now from what came from what was a conversation and sounds like a, a good fun time down the, the pub uh, where the idea was, was born. Um, but what's what's next in store for, for you for Dab apps as we move through 2022? Um, is there any big plans? Is yeah, hybrid going to continue with yourself? What's what's what does the future hold? What does it look like? Um, so this year seems to have started really well. Our financial year starts in October, so we're kind of three months in. Mm. Feels like things are going really well this year. We're hopefully going to grow, grow. We're aiming to grow revenue between 20 and 25% a year for the next two or three years, which would mean we'd almost double in that, that three-year period. So that's kind of where we're aiming to be. I don't think we ever want to be 
a thousand people, but if we could kind of double it over the next three years or so. So how many, how many of you pace. is there at the moment and what what's the, the forecast on headcount for each year? So we're we're about 30 people now, 31 uh -huh. thing. I would guess would be at about 38, 39 by the end of the year, and then be at early 50s in, in two years' time. Wow. So yeah, as long as it's kind of um, stable, like we don't want to grow massively and get out of control. We need to kind of do it in a controlled way. Uh, we haven't got any external investment, so we're just funding everything from from cash flow. Um, we've been able to do that for the last kind of eight nine years. And it certainly seems that. as though you like to enjoy yourself. So so long as you've got a big enough team that you can get out and about for parties. For a couple of beers, etc., you're going to be happy. Yeah. If it gets too yeah. big, where you don't know people, kind of you're, you're losing that um, close knit feel. So it seems as though that is what's on the cards for you. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's a kind of size of a company that we can manage as a small management team of five people. I think we could manage a company of up to kind of sixty people. Mm. When it gets bigger than that, you end up having to put in much more layers of management of people who don't know each other and you have interdepartmental communication issues so it gets harder um and i just at the moment i don't want to tackle that problem i think i'd just like to get to that kind of 60 ish it, the problem is i think if you stagnate and don't grow your staff then stagnate and don't grow they need career paths to grow and opportunities so you have to keep growing a bit mm. for that to to keep happening so yeah, if we can carry on until we get to 60-ish and then it's time to restock and think, what do we do? Do we do something crazy and really try and grow or do we I not? I was thinking, well, surely at that time, it's time to get the dice out again, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it might be at that stage. Yeah. <laughs> keep keep yeah. that handy at all times. <laughs> yeah, what, a decision right, yeah. Make, what a way to make decisions. I like it. <laughs> you know, it does you roll, you'll roll it and if, if you're happy with it, you know, you know whether you're set. If you're not, again, you know whether you're set. So look, yeah. um, Chris, I love all of that. But look, we've come towards the end of the show here. But before we do let you go, we always finish up with a bit of a quick fire questions round. Um, okay. And I guess, look, you used to be in finance, but you clearly uh, made a bit of a switch. Like to enjoy yourself. But look, thinking back to your younger self, look, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to young Chris, your younger self? Um, I think try things more. I was always, I kind of grew up in, I grew up in Wales, grew up in kind of quite a different environment and I just didn't want to try things. And I think I would want to kind of take more risks and try things more. Do you listen to podcasts yourself? So there, are there any that you would recommend our listeners when you're walking, this, walking the uh, many miles of the South Downs way? So I don't when I'm walking. It's not something I can't. I do listen to dodgy music sometimes, but that kind of that helps. Um, the thing that I really used, I, I did an MBA over the last kind of six or seven years. Did it very slowly, very part time, and it was really interesting to do. But the thing that I really took away from that was the the Harvard Business Review, which comes out every like two months, and it's just a magazine really but there's so many really good articles in there and you can just read a half page article you get the gist if you want to find out more there's normally a, a book or academic papers um linked to it so that's been really good i kind of just yeah, really look forward to that coming out every two months and it's like 
every single time I learn stuff and then go and do research based on based on that. It's been really good. Amazing. I have to say I'm a, a massive fan of um, the HBR articles that are posted on LinkedIn. So I always follow them and they've got stuff on all sorts, whether it's life sciences, general business articles, hiring and staffing and all. Yeah. There. So for me, it's it's been fantastic um, as a yeah, business owner, as a recruiter. Um, but look, talking on, on the, the theme of recruitment and growth, as we spoke about kind of five minutes back, um, but what would you say are the top three qualities that you value most when building uh, your teams? Um, that's really hard. Um, I think it's really important that the team gel. So someone who's friendly, people who, someone who gets on with people and gets on with the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be really different personalities, but you just want someone to be friendly. Um, someone who's curious who wants to learn more, know more, um, and someone who's expert at something. It might that We never hire someone who's expert at everything we do, but someone who has got the ability to really get into something and become an expert. And when you link that with being friendly and curious, it really, it really ties together. I like it. And the friendly one, I mean, for me, I often label that as uh, being easy to work with. I think it is yeah. one of the most underrated skills in the world of recruitment. And like when I reach out to people, I'm like, that person's very easy to speak with, to talk with. I'd be happy to put them in front of any client just because I know that they will adapt and they're easy to deal with. And that is, yeah. it's not something that you're going to write on your CV and it's going to sell you, but it's just that communication side of things. Dare I, dare I ask, um, I possibly, I might know the answer to this, but I'll ask the question. So, so <laughs> our listeners always like to hear what, what our interviewees uh, enjoy doing outside of work. What's your, what's your favourite thing outside of work? And maybe if it's not walking the South Downs way, something, <laughs> something else. Um, I think I'm quite social, so I like meeting friends, doing things where it's going for a nice meal or going for a walk with friends or talking to friends or... I'm quite good at keeping in touch with people. So I'm in touch with loads of people from school, from university, from every job I've ever had. And it takes effort to do that sometimes. I think it's really important to do, not for a work networking thing, because it's fun that you you meet people that you like and it's good to to see how they're doing. So yeah, I do find that I spend a lot of time kind of socialising with people and kind of finding out how they're getting on, what makes them tick and... I think that's really important. And look, to, to close us off on the quick fire round, look, what is, and this one's a little bit deeper, but um, finally, what is the number one golden rule that you live by in life and in business? Um, I think this kind of links to a few of the things that I've said, but if it's not fun, don't do it. It's got to be fun. You've got to be getting some out of doing it. It's not just about earning money or achieving something you've got to enjoy it i like it i like it well look chris you've shared some gems there and i like uh, the common theme of having fun socializing it's right up my street um so <laughs> when i'm next down in the neck of the woods with you gents uh we'll perhaps have to fix up a, a beer and a get together uh, so so amazing. we we've met at the place where i met you james ah uh, have you a good depot. little spot. Okay. That's a great little spot, isn't it? It so, is nice, you know, yeah. Really that cool. might be a, a very nice place to, to have a sundown at one time. 
Yes, oh, definitely. well, look, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the Hudson Morton uh, podcast. Thanks once again for your time. Uh, and look, just for anyone before we uh, leave, if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best place to get you? Is it LinkedIn, your website? Um, just give our audience a quick rundown for that, please. Yeah, probably a, a website is dabapps.com or um, you can mail me just chris at dabapps.com. So, yeah, whatever's, whatever's easiest, it's fine. Fantastic stuff. Well, look, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Okay, brilliant. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Cheers. thanks. Okay, bye.